And please take your Bibles and turn to the letter of Paul to the church in Rome. And as Pastor Mark frequently points out, in the pew uh, there are Bibles, and um, as he said so frequently, we, we sincerely mean this, if you don't own a Bible, if you're visiting with us and don't have a Bible of your own, or if the one you have is not readable to you or understandable, um, we invite you to, to take one of those pew Bibles as a gift from our congregation to you um, and hope that you'll read it to the eternal benefit of your souls. Our text this morning is Romans 15, verses 1 through 7. Romans 15, 1 through 7. Listen to this. This is the very word of God. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And that is the reading of God's word. Let's pray together and ask that he would bless it to us now. Father, we thank you for breathing out the scriptures. We thank you that they've been written down and that they were written for our instruction. So our prayer is that the very spirit who breathes them out would also be our instructor today as we turn to your word and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There are lots of sad things going on in the world today. As you know, Many of you have experienced difficulties and, and tragic circumstances. But about six years ago, I received a prayer request via email, and it contained a story that I think is one of the saddest, most tragic, most heartbreaking things I've ever heard of, ever read. It was a real person making a real prayer request for a real loved one, and I wanted to read it to you as an introduction to this message. <clears throat> The, uh, the prayer request read like this. Last night, my mother was walking back from supper. Another resident at her assisted living facility thought she was moving too slowly, so she pushed mom. Mom fell and lacerated her head and fractured her clavicle, ribs, elbow, and pelvis. We'll know more later today. She is not a good candidate for surgery. Your prayers are appreciated. True story. <clears throat> and it's a picture, I think, this is why I share it with you. It's a picture of what Christians do when they tear down other Christians. Can you imagine? 
She's an elderly woman. She's in an assisted living facility. And another resident who's equally in need of the assistance of that place decides this person isn't moving fast enough, so she just pushes her. And severe injuries result. But it's just like the way Christians in churches treat one another sometimes. Because Christians are all in what we might call assisted living. We live by the assistance of the Holy Spirit. We live in utter dependence upon God. We're all needy. We're all broken. We're all, to use scriptural language, jars of clay, fragile. Some are a little stronger than others, but we're all needy. And sometimes, though, we forget our weaknesses. We get frustrated with the weaknesses of others, don't we? Well, that's what chapter 14 of Romans was really all about. It was all about why and how Christians are to persevere together within the fellowship of the church. It's all summed up for us here as we begin chapter 15 in these verses that we've just read. And what the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, is commanding for us, what he's directing us to do in these verses is directly opposite of that picture painted for us of what happened in that nursing home. We're commanded to bear with one another, to help one another, not to shove each other around. Christ's people are to persevere together and build one another up. That's what this passage is all about. Christ's people are to persevere together and build one another up. I want to look at three points here. First of all, we see in the opening verses the obligation of the strong. Secondly, the instruction of the Scriptures. And finally, the peace of the church. So first of all, the obligation of the strong. And context for that is provided for us in chapter 14 of Romans, the immediately preceding chapter. And if you just glance back at there, you don't have to uh, probably even turn your page, but if you look at 14 of Romans in verse 2, you see there the apostles discussing scruples that certain people had over dietary matters. And in particular, he's probably speaking to Jewish Christians who still were in the practice of abstaining from things that Old Testament Mosaic law required them to abstain from and they felt that they should keep doing it they didn't recognize that in the gospel they now had liberty to eat those things that formerly had been forbidden or in verse 5 it speaks of religious observances see that one person esteems one day as better than another while another esteems all the days alike each should be fully convinced in his own mind so there's reference to religious observances and special days. And again, that would pertain to the feasts and the different celebrations of the Old Testament law. But it has its equivalent and its uh, parallel in, in New Testament Christianity as well. Ash Wednesday. Look through your Bible. And there's nowhere in it that says to observe Ash Wednesday or go and have somebody put a little cross in ashes on your forehead. Now, if you want to do that, it's okay. If it means something to you, if you do it in faith, go ahead. 
but it's not required by God's word. Same could be said about almost everything else that's on the so-called liturgical calendar. If they have meaning for you, go ahead, observe them. If, they, if you can do that in faith. But see, in the, in the first century church and in the church today, Christians are at loggerheads about whether we should do these things or whether sh we should do them at all, uh, whether anyone should. Are they lawful or aren't they? Should everybody do it or is it just sort of an individual decision? And if you take a look again in chapter 14 and verse 19, the bottom line is right there. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Or look at verse 21. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. So you see the concern should be for one another, not for the whether or nots. Is this right to do? Is this right to do? Should we do it? Shouldn't we? The scriptures point us to a higher concern, a more eternal concern, and that's the spiritual good of one another. In commenting on this passage, Charles Hodge wrote, we are not to do everything which we may have a right to do and make our own gratification the rule by which we exercise our Christian liberty. That shouldn't be the basis for decision. The basis for decision is love for one another. The basis for our decisions in matters like this is that we are commanded to bear with the failings of the weak. That's what it says in verse 1 of our text in chapter 15. Now, your ESV Bible uses that word failings. Uh, that's one way the word from the Greek can be translated. Uh, other versions use terms like weaknesses, scruples, all valid translations. The idea being some of our brothers and sisters have prejudices about certain things, uh, and they are, admittedly, if you really analyze it in terms of what the Scriptures say, they are errors, we could say. It's a prejudice, it's an error when someone says, I believe it is wrong for Christians to, and fill in the blank, when it comes to things that are immaterial, when it comes to things that are not spoken to in the Bible itself. The principle is, if Scripture doesn't prohibit it, then it's not prohibited. But some think it is. I don't think, I believe it's wrong for Christians to watch R-rated movies. I believe it's wrong for Christians to play card games. I believe it's wrong for Christian men to wear facial hair. You know, that was a thing. Did you know that? Early part of the 20th century in evangelicalism, in, uh, in the in the, uh, the fundamentalist churches, they thought that if you were a godly man, you would shave your face clean. Now, how they got that from Scripture, I really can't imagine. But the point is, opinions like this grow up in the congregation. They grow up in the churches. But if Scripture doesn't prohibit something, it's not prohibited. And some still think that some things are. Now, Scripture does not commend those kinds of errors. Scripture isn't saying, you know, it's really okay 
But what Scripture is saying is that the strong must bear with the weak. That's non-negotiable. That's bear with the weak in the sense of Galatians 6.2, where Paul wrote, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So, when it says that the strong have an obligation to bear with the failings or the scruples of the weak, it's not saying we should merely put up with them. It's not commending to us or commanding us to simply tolerate one another. No, it's more than that. The word means to help to carry. Help the weak, in other words. Promote their edification. Promote their spiritual good. And notice how strong a word is used there. We who are strong have an obligation to do this. It's a debt we owe. We must do it. Jesus taught this Himself. Even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. And he says, if you would be my disciple, take up your cross and follow me. Christ taught it. Christ modeled it. That's what we see in verse 3 of our text. Look at that again. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. The you there is God the Father and all the people whose sinful, fallen animosity against God They heaped that animosity on Jesus. He took it. It fell on him. And he endured that for all of us. So he set the example for us. He practiced what he preached. And so therefore, Jesus taught it. He modeled it. We are to live it out. Look at 1 Corinthians 14, verse 12. As you're turning there, remember, the Corinthian church was all wrapped up in these spiritual gifts that they had. They were really excited about the gifts and the manifestation of them. The supernatural gifts, the speaking in tongues, and so on and so forth. And so Paul challenges them with these words in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 12. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Isn't that great? He's saying, you want to manifest the Spirit? Well, then do this. Build one another up. That will really show the Spirit at work among you. Or Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. Speaking of the labor of pastoral ministry, the work of the elders of the church, Paul writes in Ephesians 4, verse 12, that that work is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up of the body of Christ. That's what we're called to do. That's why God gives us gifts. If you have a spiritual gift, and if you are in Christ, you have at least one. Whatever that gift is, or whatever those gifts are that God gave to you, He gave them so that you can use them to serve your brothers and sisters and build them up. That's the obligation of the strong. Well, as we approach verse 4, for whatever was written in 
former days was written for our instruction. That's the central verse in the text that's been selected for this morning. And it's also, in many ways, central in importance. It's all about the Word of God. God's own Word. And in that verse, what part of God's Word does it say was written for our instruction? Whatever was written in former days, it says. In other words, all of it. The whole thing. And here the reference is most directly to the Old Testament Scriptures. You see, Old Testament Scripture has its use and it has its application in our day. It has its use, it has application for Christians in modern times. So when I was making that offer about the Pew Bibles, if the Bible you do have at home is just the New Testament, take a Pew Bible and start reading the rest of God's Word. Please. It was all written for our instruction. And it's really, while the New Testament canon was being written in the first century, those Old Testament scriptures were, at that point still, they remained the backbone of the proclamation of the gospel. Turn with me to Deuteronomy, chapter 6. In chapter 6 of Deuteronomy, starting in verse 4, this is a passage that the Jews refer to as the Shema, because that's the Hebrew word for hear, and that's how the passage starts. So follow along with me as I, as I read a few verses from Deuteronomy 6, starting right there at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. We're going to go right into chapter 4, so I'll read verse 17. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now look at the first two verses of chapter 4. Here's Paul's charge to Timothy. Remember, Timothy was a pastor. Uh, and he had studied under, under Paul. Paul was, uh, Timothy was sort of Paul's protege, we might say. His, Paul was Timothy's mentor. And here's what Paul writes to him. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Preach the word. Now Listen. Timothy's letters were late in terms of when they were written. If you, if you take the letters and the, the books of the New Testament as they're being uh, breathed out by the Holy Spirit and inscripturated by the, the human writers that the Spirit used, the letters of Timothy were some of the last ones to come along. They were written in the early 60s AD. Paul was very near death. In fact, it was probably, possibly even the same year that he wrote 2 Timothy that he was imprisoned and executed under Nero. Um, but so the point is, when Paul was writing these things, most of Paul's letters had already been written. We don't have any idea how widely they'd been circulated yet at that point, but they were already recognized by others as not just the writings of Paul, but as Scripture, divine, God-breathed Scripture. 
So we know that. But what did everybody have? What did the whole church have at this point? They had the Old Testament. And so when Paul said, preach the word, when Paul used the term all scripture, he unquestionably included the Old Testament in his thinking. So what was the purpose of our instruction through God's word? We're back in our text now. The purpose, all scripture, everything that was written beforehand was written for our instruction. Well, to what end? It says two things, endurance and encouragement. Written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Endurance means patience. It means perseverance. It's what this passage is about. Persevering together and building one another up. And that endurance, that patience, that perseverance is produced by means of Scripture. God's Word is a means of grace to help you persevere, to help you develop patience. And then encouragement in the sense of comfort, in the sense of consolation. We also get this by means of Scripture. And the result is we might have hope. To have hope means to exercise hope, to stand firmly on the hope that you have, to live in hope. Do you notice that verse 5 calls God the God of encouragement and endurance? So that Endurance and encouragement, along with hope that results from them, come from God. They come by His power. They come through the means of the Scriptures, but it's God who gives them. God Himself encourages you. God Himself enables you to endure, to persevere. God Himself is your comfort and consolation. And He uses, the means He uses to give them is His Word. Well, then finally, the text speaks of the peace of the church. Look at verse 5 again. Back in Romans 15 now, verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ that together you may with one voice glorify God. Okay, um, He grants this to you. He grants this to us. And so what we have here in verse 5 is sort of a combination of a prayer and an exhortation. May God grant you. He's the divine author of, the, author of these things. He gives them. So Paul's praying, may God grant you these things. He's the divine author. So the question for each of us is this. If God's the one who grants endurance, if he's the one who conveys encouragement and provides that hope, each one of us needs to answer the question, are we going to be instruments in his hands to help bring that about? Or are we going to be a stumbling block? Brothers and sisters, this is Churchmanship 101. Every single one of you have joined this church, who have joined this church, or who have ever joined a Presbyterian in America church, Presbyterian Church in America congregation. You took vows when you joined the church. And one of those vows 
was that you said you would study the purity and the peace of the church. That's the language that's used in the book of church order. That term study, though, doesn't simply mean study like a student studies a book. It means to be devoted to these things and to promote them, to maintain them. The purity and the peace of the church. And of those two, purity, well, they're, they're both important, but, but peace, peace is fragile, isn't it? And I praise God that we enjoy such a measure of peace in this congregation. But it can go away in an instant. And so we're exhorted to maintain it, to study it. And so you've got this combined prayer, a wish, a a benediction in a sense that God would grant us these things, but it's also a command, an exhortation to us to pursue those things, to live in harmony with one another. That's what the, the text says. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. That's a wonderful musical term, and you get the point. It conveys the idea very well. Uh, That's not actually what the Greek says, though. It says something more like, may God give you the same mind. May be like-minded. And the particular harmony of mind, or one particular of it, is that this harmony is in accord with Christ Jesus. What does that mean? To to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ. It means by following his example. So we're in accord with him. Let this mind be in you, as Paul said in Philippians. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So we follow his example. We're in accord with Jesus when we follow his instructions, when we keep his commands. Do you love Jesus? Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And then the desired outcome of all this is in verse 6, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've got unity of mind then which leads to unity of voice, all of which leads to the glory of God. He's glorified when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. And look at verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So unto these glorifying, God-glorifying ends, we are to welcome one another. So now we come full circle because look at Verse 1 of Romans 14. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. And so in the end of our text for today, therefore, welcome one another. When I preached on the first part of Romans 14, and that was almost a year ago, maybe a little bit over a year ago, the title of that sermon was simply, Welcome. Because that's to, be, that's to be the attitude of our hearts toward one another as brothers and sisters. To welcome one another. We're to do the same, do in the same warmth of spirit with which Christ has welcomed us. Remember what Pastor Mark said earlier about the, the tenderness of Jesus Christ that we sang about in our opening hymn. 
He has the true and perfect gentleness. And that's the spirit in which each one of you have been welcomed into his family, welcomed into his flock. And so with that same spirit, we are to welcome one another. And why wouldn't we? Why shouldn't we? One other thing, in verses 5 through 7 now, both the strong and the weak are being addressed here. This is for everybody. And as we saw in chapter 14, the strong must not look down upon or despise the weak. And the weak must not judge the strong. No shoving each other around God's assisted living facility. God is glorified by Christ's reception of us. He gets glory when Christ redeems people to himself. But he also gets glory by our reception of one another. And we're commanded to do that. So we have this ongoing assignment, you see. That assignment given by Christ himself is that we seek to encourage and build one another up. Do the things that are good for one another spiritually. Whatever spiritual gifts you have were given by Christ so that you should do this very thing. So let me close now with just a couple of points of application. First of all, study the scriptures. Study the scriptures. They were written for you. They were written for your instruction. <coughs> Have you ever been waiting eagerly for communication from, from someone who was important to you, someone you cared about or loved? And if you were in a situation like that, did you, do you remember ever becoming um, kind of sullen and even depressed and discouraged when you didn't get that letter or get that call or, or receive that note? I had an experience like that, I was dating a girl in high school or college, and we used to pass notes to each other some, once in a while, or, and then I didn't get a note from her for a long time, and I started to get really bummed. And I wanted to get a note. And then the Holy Spirit convicted me mightily about something. I was all bummed because this girl didn't write me a letter. But God had written me a love letter and I hadn't even read the whole thing yet. This is God's love letter to you. Have you read it? Do you cherish it? It's full of instruction from him. It's full of things about him. It's full of words of love for you. It's full of stories about what he's done for you and his son Christ Jesus. Read it. Study the scriptures. Number two. Love the brethren. Love one another. Be at peace with one another. Bear with one another. And all of it, all of it to the glory of God. Ask yourself this right now. Do you consider yourself a child of God? Are you a child of God? If so, prove it by being a peacemaker. Isn't that what Jesus said? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Think about Christ. We've talked about the strong and the weak. We've talked about how all of us really, ultimately, at 
one level or another, we're weak. We live in that assisted living facility called the church because we need to be there. We've recognized that we need it. And so here we are, some a little stronger than others, but all of us weak. But Christ, the strongest one, the strongest of all, was willing to bear with the failings of the weak. And he still does. He bears with your failings. He bears with mine. And if he does that, can you not then bear with one another? That's what Jesus commands us to do. Think about how the strong one became weak for us when he came down from heaven, laid down his life. He could have called for 12 legions of angels that would have been at his disposal in an instant. And he was God in the flesh. He didn't even need angels to help. But he made himself weak for us. And that's what we come to remember in the Lord's Supper. Let's go to him in prayer before we sing our hymn of preparation for the supper. Father in heaven, we praise you for our great Savior, Jesus Christ, and we thank you for welcoming us in him. Forgive us, please, that we so often forget our weakness, but we're so quick to be critical of others' weaknesses. Lord, teach us to bear with one another. And now as we come to the table and as we sing this hymn of preparation, stir up our hearts and stir up our faith that through faith we might see Christ lifted up and, uh, and remember his death in our behalf. We pray it in his name. Amen.